thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, all of us encounter storms in life. We encounter difficult situations and hardships and trials. And the challenge for us as Christians is to live a godly life in the midst of difficulty because it's a lot easier to live godly when things are going well. Uh, and it's a lot harder to do what we're commanded to do when things are difficult. And in Acts 27, as we come here this morning, we're going to see that Paul is going to go through a literal storm, and as he goes through this storm, we're going to see a great example from him of how to live a godly life in the midst of a storm, in the midst of difficulty. Now, remember we left Paul in Acts chapter 26 uh, in prison there in Caesarea, and now he's going to be sent to Rome so that he can stand trial before Caesar Augustus, Uh, and as you can see there from the map, it's a pretty long journey from Caesarea all the way to Rome, especially during that time. There's no planes, there's no cars, and so uh, the most efficient way to get there would be by ship. Uh, and that is how Paul is going to travel. He's going to get on a ship. You can see uh, the, the map there shows us how he does that. But as he gets on this ship, we're going to see here in Acts chapter 27 that he and all those on the ship are going to face this very violent, fierce storm that is going to threaten their lives. And there's two things I want us to focus on as we look at this storm and as we look at what goes on. The first is what God does for Paul and for all those in this storm. And the second is how Paul responds in the midst of this storm. And as we look at what God does for Paul while he's in the storm, I want you to take comfort that when you go through storms of life, these are the things that God will do for you as well. And as we look at how Paul responds to the storm that he's in, I hope that's a challenge to us for a way in which we should respond to the storms that we face in this life. And so let's start with Acts 27 verse 1. We're going to see this journey to Rome, the storm that Paul faces, and what we can learn from it. Starting in verse 1, it says this, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmon, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Notice here that Luke the author says, we. 
It was when we should sail to Italy. Luke is not only the author, but he's also a companion of Paul, not only on some of his missionary journeys, but this journey to Rome, most likely as the ship's doctor. And so Luke joins them on this journey to Rome. And we get a lot of specifics on this journey coming from Luke's eyewitness account of what transpired and where they went. And now remember, Paul is still a prisoner uh, because there's been no verdict in his case. He's going to see C. Caesar ultimately to get a verdict. And so uh, Paul's delivered to this Roman centurion named Julius. And it was common to transport prim- uh, prisoners by a cargo ship. And so that's what they're doing. Uh, and Luke shares with us now this route that they take. Uh, the first stop that they make is at Sidon. And we're told that Julius, this uh, commander, treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go be with his friends and receive care. Now, understand, this was not a normal thing. You know, prisoners did not get good care from the people who were over them. And so we see God's favor here on Paul, that this man would say, you know what, I'm going to allow you to have your friends come here in this town and treat you well and take care of your needs. This was not something that was done for the other prisoners. And so they leave Sidon and they travel around Cyprus. And as you look at the map, you would think, well, the most direct route would not be going around Cyprus. The reason they go around Cyprus is because the winds were contrary to them. They're sailing and the winds were blowing the wrong way. And so they're trying to get some shelter by going around Cyprus. And so as they sail around Cyprus, they go past Cilicia and Pamphylia and they come to Myra. And there at Myra, they need to change ships. Julius the uh, centurion finds an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy. And so he puts all of his prisoners on board that ship. So they leave Myra and they sail very slowly, we're told, many days. And they only head to or, or get to uh, this place called Sidus, which is just a few uh, cities over from Myra. And, you know, they're trying to go that route and it's not going well from them. So they decide, you know what, we're going to turn, change directions, and they head south towards Crete. And as they come towards the island of Crete, they land at a port named Fair Havens. Well, let's see what happens next. Verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest in winter there. We're told now sailing was dangerous because the fast was over. The fast here is referring to the Day of Atonement, which took place in the early part of October. Now, sailing in the Mediterranean Sea in the wintertime was very dangerous because there was big storms, which brought big waves. Uh, And so at the end of October, leading into November all the way to January, was not a time that you wanted to be sailing if you could help it. And so since the Day of Atonement has already passed, it's either late October, early November. And so this is a time where it's dangerous to sail. And something interesting to note is this port is named Fair Havens. 
which in the wintertime would be a misleading name because it wasn't a fair haven in the wintertime. And you see here from the map that it's on the south side of this island of Crete uh, where all the winter southern winds would come up and the big storms would hit. And so if you were docked there, your ship would most likely be destroyed. And so that was not a good place to winter in or stay there through the winter if you had a ship in their port. And so the captain of the ship, the owner of the ship, the centurion, they got a difficult decision to make. Do we stay here in fair havens knowing that this isn't a good place to stay for the winter because our ship could be destroyed with you know some violent storm? Or do we risk sailing during this time where we could actually encounter a violent storm while we're out on the sea? And so there's two kind of bad choices to make. And so they decide, you know what, we're going to try to get to Phoenix, which was another port on the island of Crete, which would be much better for them to... Um, um, be at through the winter, but Paul has some advice for them as they're kind of making this decision, determining what should they do. And he says, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, there's no indication here that Paul has been given this insight from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to him and said, Paul, don't go because you're going to die if you do. And we would actually probably conclude that that's not what the Holy Spirit told Paul, because as we continue on with the story, we're going to find out that none of them die. Now, what is most likely going on here is that Paul, he's a man who's traveled a lot by sea. Actually, if you read through uh, the epistles, you find out that Paul had traveled over 3,500 miles on the sea. And so he's a pretty experienced guy. He's gone through storms. Actually, uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he tells us about some of his negative experiences on the sea. 2 Corinthians 11.25 says, Three times I was shipwrecked, and a night and a day I have been in the deep. So Paul knew what stormy seas were like and what the results of those stormy seas could be. Three times he was shipwrecked, and one of those times he had to spend a whole night in the day just floating out in the sea because he was shipwrecked. And so, you know, he's saying, guys, (laughs) I've been here before. I recommend we don't go because I think we could lose everything, the ship, the cargo, and we could even die. You know, let's not continue on. Now, we're told that the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than the things spoken of by Paul. And this would be something that probably we'd be more persuaded by. The guy who actually is on the sea all the time and the guy who owns this ship would probably be the person that we would listen to over the prisoner who's on the ship going to Rome. And so, you know, they just ignore Paul, whatever, Paul. We're going to listen to the experienced sailors here and the guy who owns the ship who makes the decision anyway. And so they decide to continue to travel from where they are in Fair Havens, and they're hoping to make it to Phoenix there uh, on the Isle of Crete. And so let's see what happens as they embark on this journey at this dangerous time to sail. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete, but not long after a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clotta, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they stuck or struck sail so that they were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, 
The next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. And so they're there at the uh, fair havens and there's this you know slight wind breeze coming from the south. You know That's where the, the big storms come. And so they're thinking, hey, this is a good time to go. We don't have strong winds coming. You know, let's get out now. Hopefully we can beat any kind of storm that comes. And so you know that was a wise thing. They, they head on out. But unfortunately for them, the weather changes while they're out on the sea. And we're told that this tempestuous headwind called Euroclidon came. This Euroclidon means a violent storm. They actually, sailors named it this because they were so fearful of it. Because when this storm came, these huge waves came with it. And it was something that was very disastrous if you were out on the Mediterranean Sea at that time. I found a clip of a military ship sailing in a storm on the Mediterranean Sea. And I want you to note what the waves do to this ship. I mean, this is an iron ship, way bigger than the ship that Paul would have been on, you know, much better constructed. It has an engine. It's not pushed by sails. And notice what it has to go through in this big storm with the big waves that come. And try to picture what this wooden ship with sails would have had to deal with out there on the Mediterranean Sea. This was a very dangerous time to be out there. And so this big storm comes and so they do some things to try to protect themselves from the storm we're told first that the sailors um, took the sails down well they didn't want to be pushed all over the place so the sails come down now the problem with taking down the sails is now you have nothing to power your ship and control your ship and so you're kind of at the mercy of the storm the second thing they did was secure the skiff with great difficulty now the skiff was a small boat that they would tow behind them where they were going from place to place because they would basically dock close to the shore but it would be out far enough away that the bottom of the boat wouldn't hit the ground and they would just anchor there and this skiff would be how the people would get off the boat, how they would transport cargo to and fro. And so they're towing this, and they actually had to bring that skiff onto the boat, they say, with great difficulty, because if they don't bring it on the boat, the storm is just going to destroy that thing. The third thing they do to protect the ship in the storm is they use these cables, we're told, to undergird the ship. And so they would put the cables underneath and and tighten it up so that the ship would be less likely to break apart uh, in the storm. And so since they put down their sails... Their control is now, they don't have any. And in this area, they were starting to be driven towards this place called the Sirtis Sands. Now, this was a place where shallow water existed, and the sands were kind of like quicksand. When a ship would come in there, uh, they would just get stuck and kind of sucked in, and then, you know, you were done. And so, you know, this was feared just like the Bermuda Triangle, and so they wanted to stay clear of this at all costs, and they decided, you know what, we're putting the sails back up. We know that putting up the sails in this huge wind is a big you know, risk, but it's not as big of a risk as going into this uh, uh, Sirtis Sands. And so they put up the sails, and now they're being exceedingly tempest-tossed, Luke tells us, basically meaning they're tossed to and fro. These huge winds are blowing the ship all over the place, and they're in great danger of sinking. Well, they go through this for a whole day, and they decide to lighten the ship. And they throw off, usually you start with the non-essentials. Let's lighten this up so that we're hopefully we'll stay afloat. After three days, 
They go from the non-essentials to more of the essentials and they start throwing out the tackle overboard with their own hands to lighten the ship. But then notice what we're told. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be finally saved was given up. The storm is so bad they can't see. And notice what they can't see. They can't see the sun and they can't see the stars. Now, for us today, that wouldn't be as big a deal if we were out on a ship, but for them it was because guess what? There's no GPS. There's no compasses. The only way they know where they're going is to look at the stars and follow the stars for direction. They can't see anything. So now they have no clue of where they are. They're getting tossed to and fro and they get to a point now where they've given up all hope that they would be saved. I think it's interesting that these sailors and crew, I mean, look at they, they've got the skiff in the boat. They undergirded it. They, they brought down the sails. They put them up. They're doing everything they can to try to get out of this storm, everything in their power, everything in their strength, everything in their wisdom. But all of it is now to a place where they're like, you know what? It hasn't worked. We're all going to die. We've given up hope that we're actually going to make it through this. I find that interesting because when we go through storms, we usually give it all our power, all our strength, all our wisdom. And oftentimes we come to a place where after all the efforts that we've put into it, we think, man, all hope of getting through this is gone. And you know, I feel like that is a good place for us to be. Because I know for my life personally, oftentimes I try in my own strength and my own power, my own wisdom as I go through these storms and as I can't do it on my own, God brings me to that place where I recognize I need his help. And that's a good place to be when you realize, you know what, your power, your strength, your wisdom isn't sufficient to get you through storms. You need God's power and God's strength and God's wisdom to do it for you. That's a healthy place for us as believers to be. Well, now we're going to see how Paul responds to this storm and what God does for them. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as I was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Well, Paul has an important message for everyone to hear. And he starts the message basically with an I told you so. Hey, you should have listened to me. But I think he's probably more saying this of now please do listen to me. I shared with you before why we shouldn't go. You ignored me. Please listen to me now. And he has this very important message for them, a message of great encouragement if they'll believe it. He says, I urge you to take heart for there's not going to be any loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood my be this night an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. 
So Paul shares this great message, and notice what transpires here in verses 27 through 29. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings, found it to be 20 fathoms, and when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Well, the sailors now, 14 more days in, they're, they're getting closer and closer to land. They're, they're realizing that the depth of the water is getting shallower. And so they do something. They drop four anchors from the stern of the boat, ultimately hoping that they're going to be stopped and safe within this storm. And, you know, I want us to note here in Paul's message to this crew, he basically drops four anchors of truth for them to hold on to in the midst of this storm. And I want us to note these four anchors of truth about God because those are the things that we should drop as we face storms in our life. These are things that we need to hold on to and drop in the storm in order for us to make it through and live the way God wants us to. So when you're in a storm, let these four truths of God be anchors in your life. Notice what Paul says again in verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. The first anchor that we should drop in a storm is the anchor of God's presence. In the midst of a horrible storm, God's presence was always with Paul. God sent this angel to be by Paul's side. You know, oftentimes when we're in storms, we feel like God isn't there. We feel like we're alone. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. God is always with us. The Bible is very clear that He never leaves us or forsakes us. Now, the sad thing is people will leave you. People will forsake you while you're in the midst of a storm. But God never will. You know, Paul, we look at him and the amazing things that he did for God and the amount of people that he reached for God. And I want you to note something that he says at the end of his life, which is a sad testimony to Christians, but a wonderful testimony about God. Second Timothy 4, 16 and 17 says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthen me. You know, Paul is speaking about the trial that is coming. He's about to stand trial in front of Caesar Augustus. It's actually going to take a couple years when he gets to Rome. But this is the trial he's referring to. And he says, you know what? At this trial where my life is now in the hands so what, of Caesar, he's going to decide whether I'm guilty or not. Nobody, not one person stands with Paul. And I don't think about that. I mean, here's a guy that planted all these churches that has all these people that he influenced and impacted. Not one person, not even Timothy who he's writing to, not even Luke who's writing this, was with Paul at that trial. He says he was standing alone. And that's a sad testimony of the, the believers not being there with him. But you know what? He wasn't alone. Because he reminds us that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him. Though everyone else abandoned Paul, Jesus didn't. Though Paul stood alone, he wasn't alone because Jesus was with him. Something so important for us to remember is that God is always with us no matter what 
we're going through, no matter who abandons us, He never will. And the fact of God's presence, that it's with you in the midst of a storm, should bring you great comfort and hope. And so as we go through a storm, this is something, this is an anchor we need to drop. We need to hold on to the reality that God's presence is with us in the midst of that storm. So the first anchor to drop in a storm is the anchor of God's presence. The second anchor we should drop in a storm is the anchor of God's peace. In verse 24, the angel says to Paul, do not be afraid. You know, Paul's in the midst of this storm, and notice God sends this angel with a message from God, ultimately a message of peace. Hey, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. And there's a reason why you shouldn't be afraid, Paul, because I have a promise for you. Nobody's going to die. Everybody's going to make it. Don't be afraid. I, I, I want to bring this message of peace to you right now. You know, the Bible is full of promises that God has given to us as believers that we need to hold on to in the midst of storms. And, and the reason these promises are oftentimes so great is because they do bring peace to our life in the midst of the chaotic storms that we face. You know, there's a, a peace that we can have based on promises, based on truth, based on something God has said, based on something that we understand. But there's also another peace that God brings to us in the midst of storms that is important to have as well. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here we're told that God can give us a peace that surpasses our understanding. Now note this, Paul has a peace that comes from understanding. It's a peace that knows that God has promised him that no one's going to die. So his peace is coming from understanding. But you know what? There's times when we go into storms and God tells us things like he told Paul and we hold on to those and they bring us peace. But there's also times that we're in the midst of stuff and we don't have a clue why. We don't know what's going on. We don't have a, we don't understand it. And so God can say, you know what? I can give you a peace. That surpasses your understanding. You don't have to understand why all this is happening. You don't have to understand how this is going to work out. You don't have to understand it because I can give you a peace that surpasses understanding and it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind through Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful thing that we have and we need to, as we face storms, remember to drop the anchor of God's peace because we are in desperate need of it in the chaos that storms so often bring to our life. Be confident that God's peace is available to you, whether it's through knowledge or something that surpasses knowledge. So the first anchor that we need to drop in is the anchor of God's presence. The second anchor is the anchor of God's peace. The third anchor to drop in the midst of a storm is the anchor of God's plan. In verse 24, the angel says, you must be brought before Caesar. Now remember back in Acts chapter 23, God has specifically told Paul, I have a plan for you because Paul was down and he thought maybe this is it. Maybe I'm going to die in Jerusalem. And God says, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. 
So God has already made clear, I have a plan for you, Paul. You're going to Rome, and you're going to testify. You're going to share the gospel in Rome. That's my plan for you. And this plan of God for Paul would have helped bring comfort to Paul and would have helped bring perspective to Paul as he faces this storm. Because as he's in this storm, he might be thinking, you know, is this it? Are we going down? Is a ship going to be destroyed? Am I going to lose my life here? But wait a second, God has a plan. And his plan is to get me to Rome. He told me I'm going to Rome. He told me that I'm going to be preaching the gospel in Rome. And so God's plan would have brought comfort that this isn't it. This isn't where it ends for me because God has made clear to me that there's something beyond this, that I am going to get to Rome and going to be able to do what God has called me to do. Knowing God's plan for our life is so helpful when we encounter storms. I've encountered many storms in my life, and I found it interesting that some of the most severe storms have come at the time when I'm trying to go where God has called me to go. Like when I was called to go to Scotland, severe storms trying to hinder me from going to Scotland happened right before I went there. And when I left Scotland, the same thing. When I went to Georgia, the same thing. In coming to here, the same thing. And you know, there's storms of coming and they're really trying to hinder me. But yet something that really was a comfort and was great for me was to realize, you know what? I know you've called me. And so I know that I'm getting there. I know this is where you have me. And so even though all this stuff is coming to hinder me and get in my way, I know you're going to get me through it because your plan has been clearly revealed to me that, hey, I'm supposed to be in Scotland. I'm supposed to be in Georgia. I'm supposed to be in Pasadena. And so I know that you're going to guide and direct me through the storm that I'm facing. You know, each one of us goes through storms where we're being hindered from where God has called us to be But knowing God's plan is something that is so important, something that will bring you comfort, but it also will bring you direction. As you keep your mind focused on that plan instead of on the hardships of the storm, hey, no, God's called me to do this. And even though there's all this stuff trying to stop me from it, I'm going to keep my focus on that. You know, for those of us who are married, we have storms in our marriage. That's just a reality. And as we go through storms in marriage, which are ultimately trying to divide and destroy that relationship, we need to remember God's plan. God's plan is for us to love each other, to respect each other, to stay together with one another. And so we need to focus on that plan and let that plan be something that helps direct us as the storms come. When you're parenting and you're in a storm, remember God has a plan for us as parents. He tells us to train up our children in the godly way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. God wants us to be godly parents. And often storms that come into our life are are causing us and and pulling us from that purpose of God, that plan of God, and we need to stay focused on that plan so that God can direct us through that storm and help us in that. When the direction of your life is in a storm, remember God has a plan for your life. God tells us to trust in Him and not to lean on our own understanding, not to lean on ourselves, and He will direct our lives. The storm tries to tell us, trust in yourself. Trust in your understanding. Rely on yourself. But that is not the plan of God for us. And so we need to hold on to that plan and look to that plan and allow that to help us direct us through the storm. When we're in a storm, we need to drop the anchor of God's plan. No, God has a plan for us and He wants to fulfill that in our life. So the first anchor that we should drop in a storm is the anchor of God's presence 
The second is the anchor of God's peace. The third is the anchor of God's plan. And the fourth anchor that we should drop in a storm is the anchor of God's protection. In verse 24, the angel says, And indeed God has granted you and all those who sail with you. God is our protector. Here is this ship full of people all thinking that their lives are going to be coming to an end. And their promise is, I got you. I will protect you. Every single one of the people on this boat are going to make it. God is saying, I'm going to protect all of them. You know, Proverbs 18.10 is a wonderful encouragement. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. You know, when we're in the midst of a storm, we need to recognize the protector who's with us. God is there to protect us in the midst of a storm. But I want you to note something that is important. God will protect you in the storm, but not necessarily from the storm. You see, if you're anything like I have been in my Christian life, it's like, Lord, just remove the storm. Get me out of the storm. I don't want the storm. But that's not what God always promises to do. He's like, no, I don't promise to remove the storm or to protect you from the storm, but I do promise that I will always be there to protect you in it and to help you through it. And so understand that because we get upset as Christians. Lord, why are you still allowing this in my life? Why haven't you gotten me out of this? And he says, I'm protecting you in it. Trust me in it. Don't just expect me to remove it from you. So when you're in a storm, we need to drop the anchor of God's protection. Recognize that He is all-powerful and all-capable of protecting you no matter what the storm brings to your life. So when you're in a storm, there are four great anchors to drop to help you in the midst of it. The anchor of God's presence, the anchor of God's peace, the anchor of God's plan, and the anchor of God's protection. Now, something we need to realize is that these four anchors mean absolutely nothing to you if you don't believe in them. If you don't believe that it's actually going to happen when you're in the midst of a storm, the belief in them is the key to all of this. And notice Paul. He's given these four wonderful truths. The angel reveals these things to him. And notice what he says in verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. So these wonderful truths are given to Paul and his response isn't, yeah, right, this isn't going to happen. There's no way God's presence and God's peace and God's plan and God's protection is going to be there. He says, I believe God. I believe that exactly what he said will happen. The response that Paul gives is the response that we need to have while we're in the midst of a storm. You know, the question we should ask ourselves is, do we believe that God will do exactly what His Word tells us He will do? Do you believe the promises that are in God's Word for you? Do you believe His presence and His peace and His plan and His protection are truly with you while you go through storms? You see, the promises and truths of God's Word only benefit us if we believe them and apply them to our lives. You know, often when we're in a storm, we don't believe the four truths that we looked at. We say, you know, I don't believe God's presence is here with me. I think I'm all alone. I don't believe that God's peace is available to me. I don't believe that God has a plan for me. Surely He couldn't with all this going on in my life. Or I don't believe that God is here to protect me. 
These four anchors are only helpful in a storm if we actually believe them and we actually put them into practice. Notice what happens next in verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to Centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the seas. Notice what the sailors try to do. They come up with this plan. They're pretending that they're putting out another anchor, but what they're really doing is putting the skiff into the water and they're trying to get in that skiff and they're trying to go. They're just going to leave all the Romans and the prisoners and they're going to try to save themselves. And Paul obviously sees this and he says to the soldiers and the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so they cut the ropes and the skiff goes and now they're all on that boat together. And then Paul implores them to take some food and he has some encouraging words for them. He says, this is the 14th day. And you've waited and continued without food and eaten nothing, so they're really hungry and they're tired and they're out of hope. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. Notice once again, Paul gives a promise, which he already gave before. God is going to protect you. None of you are going to die. Then Paul eats some food and we're told they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Now I want you to notice something. We're told they're all encouraged, but why? They're still in the storm. Their circumstances haven't changed at all. So why have they gone from hopeless to encouraged? Well, the reason they've gone from hopeless to encouraged is because they now believe the promise of God that they're actually going to make it, that they're actually going to survive. That is what has brought encouragement to them. Now, if they chose not to believe God's promise that they were going to live, then that wouldn't have been an encouragement at all. They're still in the midst of the storm and they would have still been hopeless. What brought this encouragement was a belief in the promise of God. And I think that's so important for us because there's so many promises in God's word of comfort and of peace and of help and of care and of protection in the storms of life, but they only benefit us if we believe them if we hold on to them, if we apply them in the midst of the storms that we face. You see, the way that you practically drop an anchor in the storm is by placing your belief in the truth of that anchor. You drop the anchor of God's presence by believing that God's presence is with you in the midst of the storm. You drop the anchor of God's peace by believing that God will give you the peace that comes through understanding or that surpasses understanding. 
You drop the anchor of God's plan by believing God has a plan for your life in the midst of this storm, and ultimately He's going to fulfill that because He has promised that He will complete that which He started in you. You drop the anchor of God's protection by believing that God will protect you in any storm you face, no matter how difficult it is. You practically drop that anchor through a belief in this truth. If you don't believe in it, it's not going to do you any good. Oh, you can intellectually say, oh yeah, I know the Bible says that, but if you don't believe it in the storm that you face for yourself, then it's useless to you. You're not going to have any benefit from it. You're not going to be encouraged like these people are if you don't believe the promise that the Lord has given. Let's see what happens next. Verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left themselves in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion wanted to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on board, some on parts of the ship. And so it was that all escaped safely to land. So when the day comes, they see some land and they try to get the ship and they run towards the land and the ship gets stuck and now the waves are starting to destroy the ship and the soldiers have a plan. We got to kill these prisoners because if they jump off the ship now and they swim away and they escape, these soldiers have a problem because under Roman law, if you are a soldier and you're protecting someone who needs to be condemned of a crime, whatever they're condemned of, if they escape, you suffer that punishment. So if some of these are going to be condemned to death, these Romans would be killed. So they're like, well, let's just kill these guys so that our lives aren't taken. Uh, and the centurion says no. And ultimately says no because he's trying to protect Paul. He doesn't want anyone to kill Paul. And so once again, we see God's protection, not only over Paul, but over all these people. He promised nobody's going to die, not from the storm or from these soldiers. And so God's hand is in this. And we're told that some swim, some grab pieces of wood, but ultimately they all make it to land. They're all safe, just like God promised that they would be. Something important for us to remember is that God always keeps His promises. And since God always keeps His promises, that should cause us to always be willing to believe in the promises of God. I can understand why we don't believe in some people's promises because they break them. You know, maybe you have parents or maybe you have family or maybe you have friends and it's like, oh yeah, they make another promise. Yeah, that's never going to happen because they say things all the time and they never come through. I understand not wanting to believe that, but God never breaks his promise. He always does what he promises to do. So we don't need to treat God that way. If God says he's going to do it, we can trust that he's going to do it. Now, many Christians, when in the midst of a storm, they ask a question that I know I've asked many times in my Christian life. Why does God allow storms in my life? Why can't he just remove them all? Why does he allow them? Why does he allow me to go through these difficulties and these hardships? And I think this is an important question to answer as we're discussing storms and the anchors that we need to drop. But well, why do we even go through them to begin with? Well, you know what? I've discovered over my Christian life that there are three main reasons why God allows 
storms in our life. The first reason is to give us new direction. A great example of this is Saul, who turns into Paul. Remember, Saul is on the road to Damascus. What is his purpose? He's going there to kill Christians, to destroy Christianity, and he faces this storm, so to speak. He's blinded by this light. He encounters Jesus, and there he accepts Christ, and he goes from Saul the murderer to Paul the missionary. The storm brought new direction to his life. And a lot of people that you hear their salvation story, it was when they went through this depths of despair storm that they ultimately came to the recognition of how hopelessly lost they were, how much they needed Jesus Christ. And it was through that that there was this new direction in their life. The second reason God allows storms in our lives is to give us necessary correction. A good example of this is Jonah, the prophet who disobeyed God. God says, Jonah, I got something for you. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to them. And basically Jonah says, no way. I'm not going to those wicked people. They can all you know, die. I don't care about them. And he runs, literally. He goes and he gets in a boat. He tries to sail towards Tarsus. And he faces a storm. God brings a storm and a giant fish to swallow him up. Most of us know the story. But the whole point of this storm was to correct disobedience in Jonah. God ultimately got Jonah to where God wanted him, and he had to use a storm to correct him. The Bible tells us that God disciplines those that he loves, like a loving father. So you know what? There are times that you're in sin. There are times that you're disobeying God, and he will bring a storm into your life to bring correction to you. And as adults, you know, we don't got people spanking us anymore. We got God bringing storms oftentimes to correct us, to direct us, to help us get us back on the path that He wants us to be. The third reason God allows storms in our lives is to show us our corruption. You know, when everything's going well in life, it's so easy to think that we're doing so good in our relationship with God. And then all of a sudden a storm comes and it reveals what we're really like. You know, we looked at this in First Peter, and I used that analogy of the sponge. You know, you don't know what's inside a sponge until you squeeze it. And when you squeeze it, what's in comes out. In the same reality, when we're going into a storm and it's squeezing us because of the difficulties of life that come, it reveals what's in us. It might reveal good things, or it might reveal bad things. But oftentimes it reveals sin that we didn't really recognize until that storm hit, and all of a sudden we, whoa, I got some language I got to deal with. Oh, I got some bitterness and some selfishness and some anger. And it just comes out as the storm hits. And so it reveals our corruption. You know, I think something that we need to understand about how God is in relation to the storms He allows into our lives. God is more concerned about your spiritual well-being than He is about your present physical comfort. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about your spiritual well-being than He is about your present physical comfort. Unfortunately for you and me, it's oftentimes the opposite. We're more concerned about our physical well-being than we are about our spiritual well-being. We want physical comfort over spiritual growth. Lord, if it's physically fine for me, then I'll just be content here. But if I need to go through a physical difficulty to grow spiritually, I'll just pass on the spiritual growth. 
But you know what? God's more concerned about our spiritual growth. And so he says, you know what? If you got to go through something physically hard to spiritually grow, it's worth it. And I'm going to allow you to do it because I want you to become more like me. I want you to grow. And he is more concerned about our spiritual growth. And I think as we mature in the Lord, we become more concerned about our spiritual growth. And we start to see our physical discomfort and storms in a new light because we realize, hey, trials produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. These difficult actually help me to spiritually grow and so I need them and they're actually beneficial to my life instead of Lord just remove them I'm content with just being a you know mediocre spiritually as long as there's no difficulty in my life I'm fine with that and God says I'm not fine with that I want you to grow and so hey I'm going to bring some storms to help you with it so recognize that about God don't be upset with him realize he loves you enough to not let you stay the way you are He loves you enough to help you grow to become more like Him. So many of the storms you find yourself in, God has allowed them for you to spiritually grow. And if you want to grow, there's four anchors to drop that help in the midst of the storm, the anchor of God's presence, God's peace, God's plan, and God's protection. And the way you practically drop them is believe in them. Believe in the truth. Believe that it actually is going to happen for you. You know, tonight we're going to have our evening service starting at 5.30. And, you know, we're focusing on thankfulness and praise. And we're going to be looking at several psalms tonight. And the thing that I found interesting in connection with what we just looked at is these authors who are writing these wonderful reasons why we should thank and praise God are all in storms. They're all going through difficulty, and yet in the midst of difficulty, they're writing all the reasons why we should praise God instead of all the reasons why we should complain about our problems. And it's a great perspective to have. And so if you can come out tonight, we're going to be looking at not only you know thanking and praising, but good reasons why we should do that. It's going to be a shorter teaching because we're going to have an extended time afterwards of just worshiping and thanking the Lord and praying to the Lord. And so if you can make it out tonight, 530, uh, we'd love to, to have you for that.